watch him. Right? Remember, he's got two hands, right? Damn, man, what the hell are you doing? This guy will knock you on your ass. Come on, Rock, it's not a game. You want to live in the hospital for five weeks this time? You thought I was tough? This jump will kill you. Come on, come on, get your head on your shoulders, man. Think about the fight, think about the fight. Clover Lang's in here, he's trying to hurt you, Rock. He's trying to hurt you, okay, here he comes. Jeff, he's jabbing, he's jabbing, he's trying to hurt you. You gotta fight him, you gotta move. Rest in peace, Carl Weathers. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train. Episode 451, submission number 2186, Where's Huddles? Where's Huddles aired on CBS from July 1st of 1970 to September 2nd of 1970 for 10 episodes, six less than in your regular crock block. We know what that is. Number of episodes of Hudson Brothers Razzle Show and nothing else. Also... Six less than your usual Hanna-Barbera production. Because Where's Huddles is a Hanna-Barbera production. Are you trying to override me? I said the only show that has ever had 16 episodes, as far as I can tell, is the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show. Just like, as we all know, first time Greg ever mentioned he loved Wings was 151 episodes ago, episode 300. Never before. My bad. You're forgiven. There is a family down the street. The Huddles. The McCoys live right next door. Yes, I know. The girls are all right, Marge and Penny. But the fellas, they play football, you know. Savages. That's what they are. We have coming up this Sunday a big game. We have a big game happening between the Kansas City Chiefs of the AFC and in the NFC we have the San Francisco 49ers. As we do around this time every year, we talk about football stuff. About a year or so ago, I discovered this show existed, and once I saw there was actually a cartoon about football, 
boom, instant slot in the Super Bowl week show. I'm sorry, the big game week. Oh, whatever. Hey, I'm not getting sued. I'm sure Roger Goodell has better ways of wasting his time than with this petty little podcast. And by the way, Mike, we have three episodes on the show page at itwasthinkonTV.com that have Super Bowl in them. And we haven't gotten taken down. So I wouldn't be worried about that. Okay, you two get sued. I'm trying to stay as clear away from the big mean NFL as possible. So yeah, again, welcome to the big game week. Super Bowl week. Sue him. Super week. Sue half of him. What if we put superb owl? Yeah, we can get away with that. World Wildlife Fund, Sue Greg, okay? The World Wildlife Fund. Are you just mad that they took the WWF license away from the wrestling? Yes. Yeah, those pandas. But seriously, people, save the pandas. No, actually, after PETA saying they want to replace Punks Tony Phil with a coin, they can go pound sand, too. That's another organization that we will not speak of. So anyhow, screw the pandas, screw the owls, screw whatever wildlife you want to screw, screw Punks Tony Phil. We're here to talk about football. And Hanna-Barbera, they created this show. It's very similar to a couple of other shows Hanna-Barbera did with much greater success. Specifically talking about the Flintstones and the Jetsons. But now, instead of doing the prehistoric theme and the set in the future theme, now we're doing the football theme. The huddles themselves, they really do live a football life. Well, maybe not both huddles, but at least the husband in the family lives the football life. You see in the opening sequence and uh, throughout the cartoon, their house is shaped like a stadium. It's actually like a Rose Bowl type of stadium. And their front yard actually has yard markers. I don't think it's necessarily 100 yards, but they do have like yard markers saying like the 50 and then the 230 lines and the 210 lines. So he is really a big football. I don't want to say freak, but I'm going to say freak. And they have neighbors seemingly like the Flintstones who had the Rebels. And I'm sure the Jetsons had neighbors in their sky tower or whatever you want to call it. But there's another neighbor that plays a role in this who tries to ruin all the attempts of the huddles and their other neighbors having fun, let's say, just enjoying life. We'll get a little bit deeper into that when we get to the episodes. In this series, there's a lot of known names, especially if you're a cartoon fan. The main character, his name is Ed Huddles, and he is actually a quarterback for this football team, the Rhinos. And he's played by Cliff Norton. And Cliff Norton, we have talked about quite a bit in the past. We talked about him on Love, Sydney. We talked about him on Kolchak the Night Stalker. 
We talked about him on the Ropers. So I believe this is the fourth series, if not even more, possibly five series, that we've talked about Cliff Norton. His wife, Marge Huddles, is voiced by Jean Vanderpill. You'd know her primarily from one role. She played a wife on another cartoon series. Specifically, she played Wilma Flintstone. But she did so many other cartoons than that. But that's where you'd know her best. And she actually voiced Rosie the uh, Robot. So she's got a Jetsons connection. Playing one of the neighbors, the one that's on the football team with Ed Huddles, a character called Bubba McCoy, who plays the center on the football team, voiced by the one and only Mel Blanc. And really, if you want to go through Mel Blanc's resume, we'd be here some time. Y'all know what he's famous for. Specifically, that one appearance on That's My Line we talked about two months ago. More than that, but you get the point. Playing Bubba's wife, Penny McCoy, is Marie Wilson. She actually was played by Nancy Culp for one episode. The pilot. We're going to get to that a little bit later. And Marie Wilson... She's done a little bit of everything. She's old Hollywood. Uh, unfortunately, she passed back in 1972, so a little bit over two years after she did Where's Huddles. But she was in all sorts of stuff. Last role was on an episode of Love American Style, old school, the original one. But she did plenty of movies, TV series. Again, a long resume going back to the golden age, if you will going all the way back to 1933. So we're talking 91 years ago at this point. Playing the other neighbor, the one who wants to make Ed Huddle's and Bubba McCoy's lives so difficult, character named Claude Pertwee, voiced by the one and only Paul Lind. And seriously, guys, if he's not already in the Hall of Fame... I think we need to punch him in this coming March or whenever the next time we induct is. I think we should make him a headliner. He's got to be. Agreed. Absolutely. So I guess we're going to have Paul Lind in the Hall of Fame coming up in a couple of months. Wait, we also have Cliff Norton as a headliner for this year. So we have two headlining Hall of Famers this year on the show. Playing Freight Train, who's a guessing running back from what I've seen. He played on offense, definitely wasn't a tackle, definitely was not on the offensive line, may have been a tight end, I, I really don't know. But physically, in terms of size, he couldn't have been a running back, maybe could have been a wide receiver, possibly a tight end, but built like a friggin' brick wall. Voiced by Herb Jeffries. Herb Jeffries, he appears to have been in plenty of westerns back in the day. Taking a look at his IMDb, he was uh, in a movie called The Cherokee Kid. That was actually his last role in 1966. He was in The Virginian. He was in Harlem Rides the Range, The Bronze Buckaroo. Rhythm Rodeo, Two Gun Man from Harlem, Harlem on the Prairie. So it seems like he is sort of that African-American 
in that Western, best way I can phrase it, playing a sports announcer. There's no name. He's just credited as sports announcer. This is a good sports announcer. This is a good guy to get for this role. The legendary Dick Enberg. I don't think we've talked about him yet. We're definitely not going to cover Sports Challenge. Three for the money, maybe one day. Maybe it takes two, the original version. But yeah, Dick Enberg, what can we say? He did announcing seemingly forever, doing NFL announcing, doing Padres games. He did it all. I should note, we did mention Dick in the Minnesota about Leon Let's Thanksgiving fumble. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. And we've mentioned Merlin Olsen plenty of times. Oh, we've mentioned Merlin Olsen more than enough. And of course, one day we're going to do Father Murphy, so we'll talk about him even more in a starring role. Damn right. Playing Fumbles. Fumbles is... <laughs> what? Fumble. Fumbles. So every time he carries the ball... He fumbles the ball, I'm guessing. Well, there's only one problem with that, Greg. What? Fumbles is a dog. Oh. That just means he needs more practice. So Fumbles the Dog is voiced by the legendary Don Messick. And again, if we were to talk about his entire resume, we'd be here for quite some time. He's done, like, everything. And really, and I don't want to like pinpoint him to uh, a certain type of role, but he is that voice actor who voices that animal. Really the best way of saying it, if you think about it. There is one animal that he is famous for, though. I actually was thinking you were going to say Astro. Bravo! Bravo! Yeah, Astro. And yeah, Scooby-Doo is definitely the uh, big one. He was the voice of Scooby-Doo before Frank Walker was the voice of Scooby-Doo. And also Boo-Boo, Droopy. Again, he's that animal character's voice. Albeit, you know, some of them are uh, have human qualities speak like a actually human but yeah when you're talking about astro and uh and scooby-doo yeah they don't have really necessarily human voices like a hampton j pig underrated character from tiny Toon adventures just saying playing mad dog mahoney who is the coach minus in the pilot you had another person that we'll talk about in the pilot a little bit later, but Mad Dog Mahoney, the coach in this series, voiced by Alan Reed. And again, you know him from one role. I can't do it. But yeah, Fred Flintstone. And the thing is, if you were not to watch the video of Where's Huddles, really you think to a point that you're watching the Flintstones because you're listening to the voice of Barney Rubble, you're listening to the voice of Wilma Flintstone, and you're listening to the voice of Fred Flintstone. And like Chico said, there is 
a pilot episode of sorts. It's more of like an animatic. It's one of those sort of like really crude drawings, animations in kind of a pilot form. He did mention that Penny McCoy was played by Nancy Culp. The coach in that pilot, if you will, was played by Joe Besser. And Joe Besser is another one of those people who did plenty of voices back, especially like in the 70s. Babu, if you remember Babu on Genie, but also uh, on the Laugh Olympics. That's just about all the voices in this series. Some of the voices do play multiple characters. We'll get to them as we go through the uh, episodes. We'll start with the pilot that I mentioned. If you go on YouTube and search for Where's Huddles, this is on there. It's like a 21, 22, 23, 24 minute film of like the storyboard sketches. So it's not true animation per se, but this is what was presented to CBS as a pilot for the series. And we mentioned already Nancy Culp was Penny McCoy. Joe Besser uh, was the coach. And this actually aired, apparently, because it says it aired on July 15th, 1970, as The Ramblin' Wreck, which I believe is episode three. So maybe there is a more polished version. We did have a big name as a voice of a teammate on the Rhinos, and as a paramedic, Alan Melvin. We've talked about him in the past because he played Barney on All in the Family, 25 episodes, and also on Archie Bunker's Place, 95 episodes. So if you're familiar with the All in the Family universe, you definitely know who he is. Also voiced, among other things, Magilla Gorilla, Bluto, in the 1987 series Popeye and Son, Bandit Bear in Yogi's Great Escape, many voices. Now we're going to get to the actual episodes, the, the non-pilot episodes, if you will. Episode one is entitled The Old Swimming Hole. Ed and Bubba are determined to install a swimming pool in the Huddle's backyard, despite a legal fight by Pertwee to stop them. They somehow succeeded with Freight Train's help, but sharing the pool put a strain on Ed and Bubba's friendship, which spills onto the football field and threatens the Rhinos' chances at winning Sunday's game. It all started with Bubba. He got a check, and he said, oh, I got a check for five figures, and the first thing they decided to do was go halvesies each on a swimming pool. Not a bad idea. But the problem is the five figures on the check was the hundreds place, the tens place, the ones place, decimal, and then the two cent places. So the check only ended up being like $120. That doesn't cover the cost of an in-ground pool. Not even in 1970. But then, as I said, Pertwee wanted to try and nix the whole thing. He did not like the idea of Ed and Bubba just building the pool in the backyard. A lot of noise, a lot of commotion, a lot of vehicles going in there, you know, excavators digging up the soil and whatnot. And he was not having any of it. 
So he constantly tried foiling construction of this pool. Ultimately, in the end, when Ed and Bubba realized this was damaging their friendship and their work relationship, they had no chemistry on the football field. They agreed, you know what? Let's let bygones be bygones. And they sold the pool actually to Pertwee. They were just trying to recoup their money. I think it was like $300. Pertwee said, I'm not going to offer you a penny more. Here's $300. They took it. So they're now clear. And Pertwee enjoyed the pool by himself. But there's one problem that was mentioned before the agreement with Pertwee. They didn't put in any supporting steel rods in the pool. So when Pertwee went in for the first dive, he's lying on his lounger or whatnot. The entire pool collapses in. Ed and Bubba have a good laugh at Pertwee's expense. And also probably at the same time, Pertwee's cat, named Beverly, probably had a laugh as well. I believe Beverly, the cat, was actually voiced by Don Messick as well. So again, another animal on his resume that he gave a voice to, if you will. Playing the pool salesman who actually sold this pool to Ed and Bubba is John Stevenson. If you're familiar with cartoons, he is not an unfamiliar name. Among voices that John Stevenson voiced, in terms of cartoons, he was fancy on Top Cat, one of my favorite cartoon series of all time. He also voiced Dr. Benton Quest on the original Johnny Quest. He voiced Mr. Slate on the Flintstones, the original Flintstones, but also some of the movies and stuff after the original series aired. So you had Mr. Slate, you have Fancy from Top Cat. He's giving a voice to this pool salesman. So needless to say, another big name in the voice acting industry, even if he's not at the same level as Don Messick and Mel Blaine. Episode two, a weighty problem. Bubba's overweight problem threatens to have him and Ed traded to a team in Alaska, so he goes on a crash diet program concocted by Ed. But neighbor Pertwee is ecstatic that the next door savages may have to move and schemes to sabotage every diet effort by the Huddles and McCoys. Oh yeah, in case I didn't mention it, that's the name that Pertwee gives both Ed and Bubba. They're savages because they play football. He's apparently more dignified than to watch or he wouldn't have played football. He's a scrawny little thing, but he apparently is too dignified to watch football or he gives no respect to football players so he always calls them savages you heard that in the open when he said savages at the end that's his sort of keyword to saying i'm talking with the football players those neighbors so yeah in this episode Pertwee tries sabotaging bubba's progress to lose weight by showing slides of photos when bubba's trying to fall asleep at night just showing them by a slide projector on his wall, by tempting him with food. At one point, he was tempted with a turkey. Just, again, anything to ruin this diet plan because Pertwee wants Bubba and Ed 
to be traded to Alaska because that gets rid of the savages, if you will. Well, in the end, somebody has a bright idea when it comes to weigh-in time. I don't think it was necessarily Bubba. It might have been Ed. But what they did was they took a helium tank from a balloon vendor and they stuck the business end of the tank, if you will, down Bubba's pants and inflated his pants with helium to the point where he actually weighed like 96 pounds. And so when he goes on the scale for weigh-in, he keeps going up because of the helium and you see freight train and you see Ed hold him down so there's some weight on the scale because there's no way he could have weighed 96 pounds. So the coach says, we'll do weigh-in after the game. They sucked all game, but in the end, thanks to Bubba, and actually thanks to Pertwee more than Bubba, they win the game. So again, Bubba has helium in his pants, and Pertwee's like all mad, and he's going to deflate Bubba's pants. But unfortunately, when he does that, the helium comes out the backside where this dart entered his pants and pushes Bubba all the way to the goal line, scoring the winning touchdown for the Rhinos. And Purdue is mad. And really, the coach is like, you know what? We won the game. I don't care if you didn't reach your weight, at least this week. So thank you, Purdue, for screwing up that plan. Episode three is the Ramblin' Wreck. Again, this is like the finished product of what sold the series to CBS, that sort of storybook sketch, whatever you would like to call it, that film. This is the finalized product. Pertwee's new acquisition and love is an antique European roadster. After he leaves on a business trip, it doesn't take long before Bubba and Ed accidentally turn it into a pile of parts. When Pertwee returns early, the boys enlist the help of Freight Train and the other Rhino players to rebuild the car and buy time by letting Pertwee think it has been stolen. Episode 4. The Offensives. Inspired by a rival pro football player who's made a second career as a pop singer, Ed, Bubba, and Freight Train create their own trio, The Offensives. With Pertwee as their agent at a 50% fee, the boys are booked into the hottest nightclub in town. Unfortunately, Coach Mad Dog has instituted a no-moonlighting policy for his players, suspending any violators from the team. It gets really interesting in the end. The offensives were playing a show at a nightclub, and Coach Mad Dog and his wife went to go see it. And as Coach Mad Dog was going backstage for whatever reason, the offensives, all three of the football players were leaving and Mad Dog sort of ran into the backstage area and realized, oh, there's uh, Ed and Bubba and Freight Train. You're going to get suspended for six weeks because of the curfew. And the agent, who is, I believe, a relative of Pertwee because his name is actually Pertwee in this episode, talking about Uncle Pertwee Famous. So Uncle Pertwee Famous, here's this whole thing going on where Coach Mad Dog is saying, six weeks, six weeks, six weeks. And meanwhile, the three of them, talking about Ed, Bubba, and Freight Train, are singing, 
And this agent, Uncle Pertwee, he's like, I'm making you guys stars. This is some of the best music I've ever heard, best singing. You guys all work together so well. So that's how the episode ended. The four of them actually had a musical act going on. I got a question. Is anybody in Pertwee's family related to John Pertwee by chance? Why did I know you were going to say that? I really knew when I saw this and I saw the main character's last name is Pertwee, I knew you were going to say, is there any relationship to John Pertwee? And the answer to that is obviously not. Damn it, I wanted to see a scene with the third Doctor and Paul Lynn. That would be funny. Also, taking a look at Doctor Who for a second, John Pertwee would have started in 1970. Would he have started before July of 1970? Uh, yeah, season seven of Doctor Who, his first season started on January 3rd, 1970. Maybe there's a little crossover time there. But yeah, I'm dead serious. When I watch this, I'm like, okay, Greg's going to ask a question about John Pertwee. Again, maybe I know you too well, but I knew it was coming. Episode five, Hot Dog Hannah. Hot Dog Hannah, an elderly snack vendor at the football stadium, is actually rich from investing in real estate and hides her huge fortune in her mattress. But since she lives in a shack at the city dump, everyone, including Ed and Bubba, think she's destitute. With good intentions, they fix up her shack and replace her mattress. Learning their mistake, the boys begin a scavenger hunt to find Hannah's fortune before she sues them. So yeah, she puts money in the mattress and they go to the dump looking for this mattress they tossed out. The person who runs the dump says, oh, I sold three mattresses today. I sold one to the circus, I sold one to the zoo, and I sold one to the prison. So they go to the circus to find the mattress. That mattress didn't have the money. They went to the zoo. I think it was like in a gorilla cage. Gorilla. So they went to the gorilla cage and got the mattress somehow from the gorilla, looked in it, no, no money there. So obviously it had to be in the prison. So they go to the prison somehow and get the mattress from inside the prison walls, run off with the mattress, run through. They're actually playing a football game, believe it or not, in the prison. And using the goalpost, the stanchion, they both pole vaulted out of the prison with the mattress. Oh, and I should also say this entire time, Pertwee's following them because he got word that money was in the mattress and he wants money. Did you say that they were playing a football game in a prison? Yeah. Four years before the longest yard. So, as I said, they take the goalpost, they rip out the goalpost and somehow do like a pole vault over the prison wall with... Bubba and Ed each holding on to one side of the goalpost and they launch over with the mattress. And the weird thing is after they launch over the wall, a single dollar bill fell out of the mattress. This actually is kind of sort of key in the end. So they bring the mattress back to hot dog Hannah 
and she lies on it and she's like, oh yeah, this is my mattress, getting all comfortable, relaxing, and then says, something feels different here. It's missing a dollar. <laughs> she can feel a single dollar missing from her mattress. That's some princess and the pea mess right there. That's really like princess and the pea type of stuff going on. And Hot Dog Hannah in this episode was voiced by Gene Vanderpil. So again, one person doing more than one role in any given episode. Episode six, To Catch a Thief. Marge has scrimped and saved $100 to surprise Ed with a sports jacket he wants. Ed accidentally finds the money, assumes she's been holding out on the family finances, and in a huff, he takes the money and splurges on himself. Marge thinks the money has been stolen and calls the police. Now that Ed knows the truth, he has to find a way to replace the money and keep Marge from knowing how he doubted her and before amateur investigator Pertwee figures it out. Again, Pertwee's putting his nose in business that his nose shouldn't be in. Again, John Stevenson appears in this series, in this episode, this time voicing a character called Slippery Charlie, and he is uncredited in this role. Episode 7, Get That Letter Back. Ed and Bubba invest the family's savings into a car wash and are so sure of financial success, they send an angry letter to Coach Mad Dog and resign from the Rhinos. They learn that a new highway project will reroute all traffic from their business, and now the Mad rushes on to retrieve their letter from the post office before Coach receives it. Hilarity has to ensue. Trying to get that letter back. Episode 8. The Odd Trio. A storm damages the neighborhood, and while Pertwee fights with his insurance company, Ed and Bubba set out to repair their own houses. Ed's ladder falls on Claude, and rather than continue dealing with his insurance man, he exaggerates his injuries and threatens a lawsuit, turning Ed and Bubba into his personal repairmen and servants. Because of Pertwee, the boys may have to miss Sunday's big game. Oh, and speaking of games i should note that every episode the last i'd say between like four minutes and eight minutes of each episode does actually have the rhinos playing a game so yeah they're sort of trying to inject football content into what would probably be again a flintstones ish jetsons ish type of series but now, hey, there's football games happening. They're going to work. They're doing their occupation. But they have relatively normal lives off the football field. So that's where Dick Enberg comes into play. He's the announcer, the in-house announcer for all the games. And that's, again, like the last five, seven, eight minutes of each episode has something to do with the football game. It doesn't necessarily mean each episode ends at the football game. It just means that there's football somehow intertwined into the last uh, section of the episodes. Episode 9, Sticky Affair. Rhino quarterback Ed has fallen into a fumbling slump, so Bubba cooks up an idea to put glue on his hands before the game. Not just any glue, but Bubba's homemade concoction. His invention turns into a super glue, and with Pertwee's help, they're in a get-rich-quick scheme to put it on the market. Bubba can't remember the recipe, 
And when the boys look for their last remaining batch to be analyzed, they discover it's been picked up in the trash. I've seen so many sitcoms that end with a super glue premise. Not just end with a super glue premise, but also there's been episodes where it revolves around a super glue. Specifically, I'm thinking early Family Guy episode where Brian and Stewie get their hands stuck together. I'm thinking of a Family Matters episode where Urkel accidentally sticks his hand on Laura's shoulder. That too. I actually remember that now that you say that. And John Stevenson's in this episode again, but this time he's a trash man. And also again, he's uncredited. And the last episode is entitled One Man's Family. As a favor, Ed goes to Bubba's doctor to pick up his buddy's test results. Overhearing the doctor, Ed thinks that Bubba is pregnant. (laughs) What? (laughs) Let me say it again. Overhearing the doctor, Ed thinks that Bubba is pregnant. I mean, he did have that extra weight we talked about in episode two. Pampering his best friend, Huddles soon has the entire Rhino team coddling Bubba, even during Sunday's game. So yeah, Ed thinks that Bubba is pregnant, and hilarity ensues. Ed does know, to be fair, that Bubba McCoy does not have the proper equipment for that task, right? I would hope. Maybe Ed didn't take basic health in high school or college. Maybe there's some sort of divine intervention. Who knows? Maybe it's the plot to Junior before Junior. Hey, you know, science has come a long way. Maybe it's possible in 1970 it could have happened. And that is the series. Ten episodes over a couple of months in 1970. Obviously... The ratings weren't good enough to justify another series. This was meant to be a summer replacement series, or not really a summer replacement, more like the shows on the summer, they took time off, and this aired in their place. And specifically, it took the place of Hee Haw, because remember, Hee Haw was a CBS series to start before it ended up in syndication for all those years. But also, it sort of took the place of the Glen Campbell Good Time Hour. It did return in fall of 1970 and ran it for a couple of years. And Hee Haw, I think it had another year in it on CBS, and then it went to syndication, and it ran darn close to 1990 in syndication. I think it ended in 89. Let's talk about the schedule. It's a bit of a different schedule because, again, we're talking 1970. So prime time started at 7.30 back in 1970. CBS aired Where's Huddles? NBC aired the first half hour of a 90-minute long Virginian. And this would have been Virginian's second to last season. It had uh, close to a uh, 10-year run. And it ended uh, in March of 71. So this was the last year of the Virginian. And on ABC at 7.30 p.m. on Wednesdays, I should add, this is Wednesday night, 
ABC aired Nanny and the Professor. Don't think we're going to cover that. It's had enough episodes. But I think the big things that we need to take out of Nanny and the Professor, one, Juliet Mills, but also two, how about this? And we talked about this person way, way, way back. I mean, we're talking probably four years ago at this point. Somebody that started in Nanny and the Professor, Kim Richards from Hello, Larry. Hello, Larry. Obviously, Hello, Larry. Obviously, as I just said, Nanny and the Professor. But also, I can't believe I'm acknowledging this. She was on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I was trying desperately to avoid that. I'm going to mention it because Kim Richards and her sister Kyle, they're half of one of my favorite memes of all time with Smudge Cat and the vegetables. But, but Kim wasn't in that. It was Kyle. I thought she was holding back. No. Well, still, Kim Richards is Kyle Richards' sister, and I'm going to talk about Smudge Cat anytime I want because Smudge is the greatest meme in the world. Even though the original clip does not involve a cat at all. No, it doesn't involve a cat at all, but it's still priceless. But where could we see Where's Huddles now? Oh, I can tell you where you can see Where's Huddles. First, some intrepid user has uploaded all the episodes to YouTube, so obviously there is some obvious dubious legality there. And also, as I mentioned earlier, the pilot, what was shown to CBS, is on YouTube as well. Not in great quality, but I think at this point, if you're looking just to see it, you can disregard the quality. It's more of a relic of the past. But also, where else can you get it? Boom. I have in front of me the DVD. This is where I saw it. I actually paid hard-earned money for this because, sort of like Greg, I do not care about money. You can buy this right now on Amazon for $18.99. That's a buck ninety an episode. Hey, you better hurry up. There's only 14 in stock, and I'm going to watch the meter here. I'm going to look at this little countdown thing, and I want to see if anybody buys in the next couple of days. Is this going to be a new part of the show, the Where's Huddles countdown? I would say it's more of a social experiment than anything else. I want to see if our listeners are tempted to buy something on Amazon because Dear Me says, hey, you can buy this legally on Amazon for $18.99. And I just want to see if anybody purchases it, if it goes down below 14 left in stock, I'll be happy if it goes to 13. If it gets to single digits, pat myself on the back. I did something right. Too bad I'm not getting any money for this little advertisement. The good old Barry Harwood's pat on the back. There you go. And also, if you don't like money, but also don't like physical media... It is available to stream on Prime Video for roughly the same amount of money. Oh, good. You know what's not available to stream on Prime Video? What's that? The Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour, of course. Oh, let's play the music. It's time for this weekend Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. 
history. We are now in the first full week of February 1984, week 15. And we've got a lineup this week. I'm glad Chico's here because I mentioned last week there's at least one panelist I'm sure he has things to say about. And I think Greg's going to have things to say about at least one panelist. And I might even have something to say about at least one panelist. We have Helen Reddy at Sajak, Larry Minetti, Marsha Wallace, Charles Nelson Riley, Tim Reed, Sally Julian, and Bruce Baum. Uh, Sally Julian. Sally. I knew. Hold on. Hold on. That's who I knew you were going to talk about. So please spill your guts. All I could say is Sally Julian. Uh, 1983, beginning of the year, she was the original Summer Bartholomew on sale of the century. And all I could say is, thank God Summer Bartholomew came when she did. I'm going to tell you guys, go listen to Mark Summers' podcast, Mark Summers Unwraps. The most recent episode, at least as of the time we're recording, he talks to Richard Kind. You know who he is. He's on Spin City. And in recent years, he was spokesperson for Encore, which Al Molinaro, if you remember him from Happy Days, he used to do the Encore ads back in like the 80s and early 90s. You know who Richard Kind is. Trust me on this. But mentioned on that episode of all things was Sally Julian. And really, what was Sally Jillian doing on Sale of the Century? They actually had her as, I don't want to say comic relief, but they wanted her to have like a comic influence as a model. And obviously, 13 weeks, maybe the powers that be said, yeah, we're not going to go in this direction with like a comic-ish sort of model who sort of wisecracks about some of the products or whatnot. We're going to go in a more straightforward direction with a spokesperson, a spokesmodel, going for the Lee Menning or the Summer Bartholomew types. It is an interesting story. And like I said, it's on the most recent episode of Mark Summer's podcast. Go listen to it. Very good listen. Bet you didn't know that about Sally Julian Chico. I was today years old when I learned that about Sally Julian. Not a lot happened this week in terms of gameplay, in terms of goofy stuff, but... Tuesday episode did not air on Buzzer. We do know that there was not a big money win that week. However, on Monday that week, there was a $10,000 win with Larry Minetti. On Wednesday of that week, with Marsha Wallace, a $5,000 win. On Thursday of that week, Helen Reddy was part of a $1,000 win. $100 times the 10. And... $20,000, Tim Reed on the Friday episode. So four wins on five episodes this week. Next week, we talked about sort of old Hollywood in this episode. We're going to talk, maybe not necessarily old Hollywood, but we're going to talk about somebody who was really popular in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. 80s, his health really started declining. I think maybe his mental faculties were starting to go as well at that time. But a pretty big name among the panel next week. We'll talk about that on next Monday's episode. Let's close up the shop, boys. 
that's going to do it for this episode. But please remember, you can always go over to itwasathingontv.com where you can listen to the 450 episodes that preceded this. 450! And that's just the primary episodes. If you go for bonus content, mini-sodes, live-sodes, extended versions, instant reactions, there's almost another 150 files right there. Again, plenty of stuff to keep you busy. And please remember... We're everywhere on social media except that one place we're not going to talk about. But go to Instagram, Threads Mastodon, by visiting us at It Was a Thing on TV. But please don't forget, on Facebook, you need to go to It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And please remember, if you want to find us on Mastodon, you need to search for us at It Was a Thing on TV at tvwatch.party. Also, don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed including Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Audible. Any of those services work perfectly fine. Or if you want to use an independent podcast player like AntennaPod, which is what I use, or Podcast Addict, or the Podbean app, you can find us there very easily. And please also don't forget, we are on YouTube. You can like us there and subscribe to our channel. And please do not forget to hit the notification bell to stay informed of all future uploads on the channel including what's coming up on the podcast next time so our next episode we're going to continue talking about the big game and we're not going to talk about the big game itself we're going to talk about commercials from the big game specifically we're going to go back in time 24 years to the 2000 big game Greg wants to talk about the commercials from back then and I oblige and we're going to go back in time to 2000 where we're going to talk about dot-coms and really not many of them lasted past about 2000, 2001. That's going to be a nice little trip in the time machine for you guys coming later this week right here at It Was The Thing on TV. As always, thank you very much for listening. Be kind to each other. And we'll catch you later this week with that episode. Wow. It's the Huddles household with Ed, Marge, and baby Pom-Pom. On the field, exciting action kicks off when the star quarterback of the Rhino scores another touchdown on Where's Huddles? Premiering Wednesday night on CBS. Bang.